This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Friday night, it's 11 o'clock Eastern Standard Time. I don't know what it is in other time zones. Don't ask me to do math, but uh, we are here. We're here to talk comics. We're here to talk Kickstarter. We're here to talk crowdfunding. Close observers of the show will note that both Will and I are here for the first time in three weeks. Uh, You know, it wasn't meant to be a one-man show the last two weeks, but you know what? Will and I will persevere. Uh, Will, how are you doing? Because I haven't talked to you in uh, about 14 days. Well, no, 21 days because I've missed. Yeah, I am healing up. So I am uh, almost back to 100% after uh, a bout with a certain uh, virus that I don't want to talk about. But uh, (laughs) it's, it's good to be back. (laughs) <laughs> I I was telling you I think you won I think you I think you were the marathoner who uh, who who got it last so in a game of Survivor I think Will Allred you you won I don't know I we can ask the panel but I don't really think we need to dig our graves into that um, let's uh, let's talk about the projects that we have tonight you know I'm going to let you go first Will on your 30 second pitch because you have 30 seconds to convince people to get to your page in the next. 56 minutes crossover division is almost <laughs> about to close. So if you want to get your awesome hardcover, you better listen to this man as he pitches you and pitches you hard. Ha, here we go. Uh, stories are invading reality and threaten to fracture it beyond repair. And only an English professor and a research librarian have the uh, smarts and knowledge to save us all from an unhappy ending. 
absolutely gorgeous like we said we're gonna we're gonna try if if will or i pay attention to our clocks and we probably won't to be there at the end of the campaign to celebrate the fireworks going off but in the meantime we have some campaigns with more than 56 minutes to go uh george you have been on the show before for toddler apocalypse yeah. uh what what are you what are you doing now uh, I am bringing the entire series, the four-issue series of Charlie Spot to Kickstarter. What is Charlie Spot? Charlie Spot is about a homeless veteran who has his prized busking spot in the city park stolen from him. And it's about the ridiculous adventure he goes on through the city and the evil suburbs uh, to figure out who stole his spot and how he can get it back. Awesome. All right. So um, there may be some unknown callers in that comic. I don't know. So, Mike, what is Unknown Caller? Unknown Caller is a love letter to Asian cinema and the revenge genre in general. It's a black and white thriller that is um, really heavily influenced um, by the um, Park Chan-wook revenge trilogy. Um, but more for people who aren't familiar with that we'd like to say it's a little bit john wick it's a little bit six sense it's revenge trilogy with supernatural twist i'm going to do everything i can not to make this a kill bill conversation for the next two hours but i am watching <laughs> both this week i've got about 20 minutes left in volume two so if i do i apologize i'm probably going to do that because uh, you know what i decided this week i think those two might be my favorite movie ever. We're going to get to that later. We got to get to Mandrel P.I. Chris, what is Mandrel P.I.? Well, if you ever ask yourself the question, who stops cartoons when they turn criminal, then your answer would be Mandrel P.I. So it's a more <laughs> urban fantasy set in a cartoon world where the protagonist investigates occult and supernatural mysteries. So it's kind of like Hellboy meets Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Awesome. All right. I, 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 we've, we're... we're a little bit everywhere. Got two comedies. We got we got a, a revenge kung fu flick. I'm, I, you know what? Let's let's start with one of our comedies and and put a little bit of revenge in the middle as a, as the the nice Oreo cookie of the show. Um, I want I want to hear about cartoon uh, cartoon killer. Let's let's do Mandrel Pi. Uh, now this isn't a comic book, but we can get comics. Am I right? This is correct. So. This is a series that I serialize over both comics and prose. So I've done four issues thus far on Kickstarter for the comic, and this is the second novel. And then there will be two more issues in this first arc of the comic. Um, issue number five probably launching on Kickstarter in August-ish or so, depending on how quickly I can get uh, fulfilled for this current Kickstarter. And then issue six coming after that, and then the third novel will come after that. And then yes. after on to the next arc of the comics. So was this something that was always planned or did you find alternating it uh, once you started? Uh, I, I started alternating it after, after I started. I did the, the first comic uh, first as, as a Kickstarter and was starting to build some audience up there and wanted to cross over that audience to... Uh, pro to my prose works and this is a this is a series that was actually started as a, as a prose work I, I like the challenge of taking sort of a cartoon world and something super super visual and hey how do I turn that into something prose that would just be like it, it seemed like a super fun challenge and so that's where it started and then 
I was on the subreddit uh, comic book collabs and saw Carlos Trigo on there. And I was like, this guy, he would be the perfect artist for adapting this into a comic book. And I reached out to him and asked him if he had availability and he did. And I was like, okay, I can't wait until I finish writing all the novels. I have to pull him in now. And we did a prequel issue first, which was about uh, 12 pages long. And then uh, that was sort of my test to see kind of how his um, how his art would would stand up to uh, to the the full series. And obviously, he did an awesome job there. So I pulled him in and, and said, "Hey, let's let's turn this into first a six issue arc, and then if we make the money back from that uh, through Kickstarter, then we can keep going." And so. Yeah, it's been an awesome ride so far, and Carlos has been awesome. Well, if you don't mind sharing your page with us, we can look at it as we talk. Um, that's super interesting. I, 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 I can't wait to kind of read the two and see see the voice of a, a novel versus the voice of a comic script uh, and at what, the way it goes out. But uh, let's look at this page first. Sure. So I would be remiss if I didn't start with with one thing, and I'm not going to play the video because I know that we're uh, going to be on on audio later. But right. uh, George here on the call wrote the theme song for Mandrel Pi. So if you <laughs> want to check that out, uh, he did an amazing job and very much uh, like vibes of of London calling. So, something about that song always always hit with me as a like a a creepy tense song and. I always felt like it would be a good, uh, good, good in into something like noir urban fantasy, and and George took that as inspiration and just did something like super awesome. So you should definitely play, even if you don't want to watch the entire video at some point, just just at least watch the first minute so you can hear George's work. If not, all right, the, the Clash is my my wife's favorite band, so we we you've got you've got a listener in this household. I'll get I'll get her on it. Awesome. Um, so how do you bring a cartoon world alive in prose. What sort of things do you do? To, like, how do you play with that? Yeah, so a, a lot of the inspiration for it, at least the, the character, uh, Mandrill, his name's Manny Mandrill, so I might sometimes <laughs> refer to him as Manny and sometimes Mandrill. Um, so the inspiration for him, I'll get to that in just a second, but first, like he's he's the like the straight man of this entire series. And so you have this insane, chaotic world surrounding him and like every neighborhood is a is inhabited by like a different species or you have the center of the city called the grays which is black and white which came into existence before color entered the world and manny is this like down on his luck private detective he lives in the grays even though he's in color so he's like the only colorized thing uh, in the part of the neighborhood that he lives ultimately in the inspiration for him uh, came down to something I was going through in my real life. He is a uh, like a down on his luck, just like bottom of the barrel uh, guy in his in his life or mandrel when the story starts. And so over the series, over the course of the series, he he moves from like his lowest point up to uh, sort of redemption. And he was inspired really by my parents who um, early. Uh, early, late 2011, early 2012, my mom died. And then in 2017 or 2018 in May, my dad did as well. And I was going through this like pretty low spot in my life. Uh, and 
and so where this novel came from is just sort of looking around at the world around me and seeing just sort of like the, the chaos and insanity of real life and, and using that almost as inspiration for this character. So um, this character starts like bottom of the barrel, pretty addicted to like substances and pretty down. And then over the course of the series, learns to rely on his friends and learns to rely on um, just the hopefulness in the world around him and is really redeemed by the end of the third uh, the third novel. And so that, that's really where it, it came from to answer that question. So long-winded way of answering that question. Hey, we, we, we don't have an end time. You, you, you answer these questions any way you want to. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask a, a deep question. Um, which of your parents do you think would have most loved this work? Or do you think they both would have uh, loved different parts of it? I think they would have both loved different parts of it, but probably my mom more than my dad, because she was probably a lot more into the, into like the cartoon side of things. Mm -hmm. And so Manny in this story, like he has, uh, like he's lost his wife to something just like in a, in a cartoon world where violence and craziness happens all the time, it was something just like super mundane for his wife. Mm -hmm. So his wife died of lung cancer and he uh, was on like the, in like the homicide unit in the police force and sort of drank himself off the force and into the, uh, in, and sort of started a business running a, a PI investigation firm where he investigates like supernatural and occult mysteries. And just overall, I would say both the, the genre of, uh, of hard-boiled detective mysteries and also cartoons and, and really reading in general, I got from, from my mom. And so I'd say mostly her. Okay, less deep. If you have a noir detective who isn't a drunk, is it yeah. a noir detective story? <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking the same thing because as you were explaining, I was like, man, this has got a real Eddie Valiant feel to it. But I was like, no, wait a minute. <laughs> That's just all of them. Yeah. All, you know, but you, it has, it, it, there's, there's, I don't know what it is about it. Maybe it's just the first ones we were exposed to have it. And we all just kind of have to get in that muck. But it's, no, it's it that starts path. like it has to be almost. Yeah. 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 That's, that's pretty accurate. I, I'd say like, as I was doing some research into, um, you know, some of the tropes of noir, uh, not only having kind of grown up on on a lot of reading of it, it was pretty apparent pretty early on that, yeah, pretty much uh, every single protagonist. Lead, lead guy has to be drunk and every woman has to be trusted, right? Yep, exactly. <laughs> on the, on the, uh, but by the end of this one, though, uh, Manny is, not the end of this one, but the end of the series, Manny, I'll, I'll just spoil it, is, is less so enough up uh up on an upward trajectory so okay all right well all right let's let's look at a little let's look at the art of your your comic artist and um when you approach your comic script do you approach it in a similar way as you do your prose writing or is it a a, a different mindset uh probably a different mindset because um i can be a little the one of the fun things about prose is that you can be be verbose because you're not limited to word count in a panel. Uh, comics obviously are are quite different, so 
it's one of those things where with comics, it's, it's, I'll be verbose in the panel descriptions sometimes, not in like an art direction way, but just like, hey, th this, this is what I'm thinking for this panel. And this was the inspiration for this panel. And if there's a need for a reference, then I'll, I'll, I'll include those in the script, all that fun stuff. And then sometimes my scripts will begin with the dialogue being a little bit more copy heavy than they will at the end. And one of the, one of the nice things about Carlos is even when I, even when I haven't limited those dialogues as much as I should in a comic script, he is such a good partner that sometimes he will either push back a little bit on, on something like that and say, we just don't have room for the art here or say, look, this is the trade-off that we can make here. And so he, he has been just, uh, a phenomenal partner as both I've learned that medium a bit more uh, because it's something that I always wanted to do and also just in general taking the crazy insane things that I throw out there and, and turning it into something even cooler when it comes out of his hand than I ever could have imagined doing it. When I first started writing comics uh, before I partnered with him I, I was probably a lot more directive on things like camera angle and those kinds of things that you feel a lot more passionate about probably when you're first starting into writing scripts. And then as you learn to trust an artist and learn that their, their design, their eye for design and angle and, and all of those fun things are probably better than yours. You lean into those a little bit more. Hopefully, so, yeah. hopefully they're better than yours. You know, like Ideally, they're better yeah. than yours. Ideally, with Carlos, that's the case. So it, it's been one of those things where, yeah. I mean, fun. yeah. I think the hope for in a collaboration is you, you, you. I think we're we're all writers here. Am I correct? Um, I think the hope is that you you find an artist who's willing to to take ownership on the book, yeah, and make choices that make it better. And then you, as a writer, have to actually look at the change for what it is and actually know when it's better and no one know when it's you know impinging on what the thought was and then you have to kind of have a conversation but it's great that you guys have that that relationship yeah. already yeah and, and it's it's one of those cool relationships that has developed uh basically all over email because he lives out in spain and so it's it's us just sort of going back and forth and 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 discussing through that so yeah it's been it's been awesome. We we do have a question in the chat. I want to, uh, uh, Chris, advice for prose authors wanting to get into writing indie comics. Thank you, Tom. Yeah. So I would start, Tom, by I would I would either think about taking one of your shorter works and figuring out how you would adapt it to a comic and using that to practice comic script writing. That's what I that's what I did when I was first trying to cross over. Or um, taking a, even taking a, could be a, a TV episode or a, a movie that you're interested in, or a book you're interested in, and just doing some practice, uh, trying to adapt that into comics and trying to figure out like the the tropes and where page breaks should be, and all of those fun kinds of things because it's something that you, you, when you have chapter breaks in prose, it's kind of similar, but with a comic, it's every page you need to end the page with with the author or with the reader thinking, oh, I've got to jump to the next page. And it's a bit more of a concise medium as well as obviously a visual one. 
Um, but that's really where I would start with with some of those uh, some of those types of of practices uh, before jumping over. And then uh, from there, after you practice with like a twelve to twenty four page issue, then then I would start thinking like bigger scale if that's what you want to do. I think that's great advice. Like take with your a movie or something you're really into. Like take a movie you've seen a hundred times and work with that. Because that's something that you know so intimately, you know, that's going to be a, a great one. And then, you know, obviously yep. read hundreds of comics and read Scott McCloud. Got to read Scott McCloud. I mean, just that's, well, I, that, that was expected and understood. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and if you, know, you, if was, you are new and don't know that understanding comics, Scott McCloud is yeah. exceptional advice. I don't want to like, because we've all read it and like, it is amazing because it really, I, I can't read, you know, uh, you know, the, the spirit author, uh, Will Eisner, Eisner's, you know, that's a little bit past me, but Scott McCloud dumbs it down that even I can understand it. So definitely understand the <laughs> comics. Go ahead, Will. He actually, uh, he did a, a follow-up called Reinventing Comics, which talked about web comics and infinite, you know, infinite page, which I don't think was successful. But then he followed that one up with, um, was it Making Comics? Or I can't remember what the title was. But it, it talks about choosing shots. It has a lot of really great information in it on, on the thought process that goes into a panel and a page and how you know things should flow. It, it's, it's really good. I, I highly recommend it. Like even if you're, I, I think that's an interesting, fun read. Even if you're not looking to get into making comics, like you just yeah. did a damn good job with it because he's a really, really oh, yeah. good storyteller. Yeah, and it, and it, yeah, any 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 medium that you love, understanding how it's created gives you a second uh, thing that you enjoy about it. In my opinion, so yeah, even if you're not trying to write comics, it's it's worth checking out. Um, have you ever? sat down to write a chapter of the prose or, you know, an issue of the comic and thought, God damn it, I wish this was the other one because I know I could, <laughs> it would work better in that one. Yeah. One of the, one of the cases in point is the, like the prequel comic that, that, um, that we did. The, the prequel comic is this 12 page, like one shot that is uh, Manny solving a case that uh, the anthropomorphic moon of, of this world called in. She believes that her husband, Mr. Sun, is cheating on her. And so it starts out with with Manny up on a rooftop taking pictures of the of the sun, like cheating on Miss Moon. And then the sun spots him and starts throwing fireballs at him. And then he jumps into the sewers and has an encounter encounter with some sewer rats and then an encounter with a sewer crocodile before um, basically escaping and getting the the evidence back to Miss Moon. And it, it was one of those things where like, wow, this one was so crazy. It'd be kind of really fun to just take that challenge and turn it into prose. Um, I just, I haven't had time to, to do it yet. And so it's one of those things where it, it would be really fun. And then as I was writing the, the first novel in the series, I was just thinking more and more about how I would love to see how Carlos ad adapts that into, into comics because the first novel really involves basically uh, a bunch of uh, were creatures that are trying to, to take over Toonsville is, is the name of the, the city here. And so you have a lot of 
place. Like there's a were swan in the beginning that's that's murdering people. There's a um, a bunch of were mastiffs, those kinds of things running throughout the city, and it's it's just chaos all over the place. And this character right here that's on my screen, his name is uh, Kip Catfish, and he runs around the city in this uh, old timey copper diving suit, and it's got this infinite uh, tube back here that connects to his home neighborhood in Toonsville, which oh, is called the fishbowl nice. where all the um, freshwater fish live. And it's one of those things where like just seeing Carlos adapt this character into like a character design that then I can turn into like pins and stuff to, to give as, as free giveaways here it has been really cool to see. And I just love to see his, his take on this little cowboy catfish going on an adventure with Manny, but he doesn't show up in the first arc, uh, just in the yeah. novel. So. I do. I do have to ask: Is Miss Moon shaped subtly like a butt? And if not, why? <laughs> I mean, at certain phases of okay, <laughs> a month. Yeah. All or, right. Well, we'll um, take us down the page and let us see some of the art while while, while we do. But thank you so much. That was really cool to to learn about the process behind. But we want to we want to hear about the actual project uh, so people can hop on it. Awesome. Yeah. So basically what I'm what I'm doing up here right up top is uh, I'm doing these weekly free gifts to backers and they'll, sometimes they'll be physical, sometimes they'll be digital. And so the first few gifts have been uh, for people who back on a physical level. Right now, if you back uh, by this Sunday, then you get a free uh, acrylic pen of, of Kip Catfish. The, the ones that people have missed if they haven't backed yet are a free acrylic pen of Ernie Elephant, who's one of the main characters in the comic, who by the time the novel starts, he's uh, an elephant head. He's, he's a floating vampire elephant head. And then the other one for the first day backers was this mandrel CI pen. You really are very creative in this, are you? It's just all <laughs> stuff we've, we've seen before. Exactly. So, <laughs> yeah. And then uh, stretch goals, I'll, I'll zoom past those, but uh, they're, they're basically have gotten some of that, some of those unlocked. And then when you get to the, um, to the actual breakdown of, of the book, the, I took inspiration from comics and did a, a variant cover. Uh, I think my screen might be too zoomed in to see the whole thing, but I thought it would be fun to have my cover artists for the, for the novel basically do uh, two opposing viewpoints of this showdown in murder city. Cause that's the name of the novel. And so you have Manny shooting off with the the villain here uh, of the book from each angle, depending on which, which cover you get. And then the description of the book, basically the plot is that uh, the one of the biggest celebrities in, in town has had his, his toddlers kidnapped. Uh, and the celebrity is basically like a, a Steve Irwin parody, who's a, who's a Tasmanian devil. And he... Uh, Manny, while he's on that case, finds himself being hunted by mysterious figures from his past, and he's got to turn the tables on them, or they're going to murder him and the toddlers and basically everybody important to him. And so this is, uh, like we said before, a prose work. It, it's about 250 pages. The actual printout of the book has a few more pages because there's front and back matter. And then I also have commissioned a cartographer to make a, uh, a map of of the city so that people can understand what's happening in relation to wh where everything is in the city. Uh, and so that's included in, in the book and the digital, um, uh, the digital files. 
And then in addition to this, I've gotten Carlos to draw a super limited edition print that one of the tiers I make available in metal so that if somebody wants, uh, wants the metal version, then that's here. And then it's an add on, uh, as well. If, if you're not into the, the metal version. And so basically what he's done here is, is take, take the, some of the villains from the book and mandrel and make this awesome print. And then the previous novel, I also had him do a print for that. So it's, it's people's chance to every time they back, get another print from, Carlos and just keep building that uh, collection of these super cool uh, limited edition prints and, and have fun with them. And then this right here is the, uh, the novella that people can, can get for free if they want to read the, like, if they want to read the beginning of the series without committing fully yet to the entire book. And then after that, we get into uh, creators and the, uh, why come to Kickstarter and then the tiers of uh, of rewards. So if somebody wanted to get all the comics and the novella and the novel, um, could they get it on this page? Yes, there's a there's a comics and novels di digital catch up tier. And so you can get all four comics so far and um, plus all of the uh, all of the prose novels for uh this this tier right here the 32 dollar tier and then there's a digital tier uh for just the pros and so um because this is this is a campaign focused more on the novels uh a lot of the comics works are showing up as as add-ons in this campaign rather than um as a tier. portions of, of the actual tiers got it okay cool Awesome. Well, does anybody else have a, a quick question or should we get our revenge on? <laughs> no question, just but looking at those pins, I mean, those are going to look so fantastic. Yeah. In those, real life. And like, I'm a sucker. I, I have gotten into like making pins for all my books and, you know, because I was mm -hmm. jealous of people who were doing that for themselves. And now I'm like super jealous of your pins. Yeah, and you're getting free pins that a lot of yeah. times are fifteen dollars on Kickstarter. To be honest, yeah. you know, that's, yeah, that's a heck of a value. Nice. Yeah, I wanted to give early backers something just like really cool and and exclusive, and also just entice people to back early because, as we all know, like the early backing, um, you know, it, it's how you can guarantee your Kickstarter gets funded and is successful. So. Mm -hmm. The algorithm. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> the all-powerful algorithm. I can't wait to never have to worry about that word again. Oh, yeah, because definitely algorithms, algorithms are definitely going away. So we're, yeah. we're certainly, yeah. certainly going to be free of those. There are people going through their day not concerned about algorithms at all, and I'm jealous of them. Oh, man. I, yeah. <laughs> I, I can only imagine uh, what that is like. Oh, Mike, let's let's get into unknown caller. As as I I said before, I will try not to make this just a review of Kill Bill. So, what was your entrance to kind of the kung fu genre that that got you into this type of storytelling? So I'm not the writer of Unknown Caller. Um, Kevin Miller <clears throat> is the writer of Unknown Caller. Um, I'm the editor of gotcha. the editor that is publishing it. I edited the book. Um, if you um, had to 
steal his brain. No, um, so okay, let's. let's <laughs> no, I mean, let's, I've worked. I've worked very, very closely with with Kevin. Um, he's a good friend of mine. Known him for a long time. Um, so when he brought you this idea, what what made you excited about doing it? Then let's let's be more on what how how you feel about it. So Kevin is um, he's a unique um, um, participant in the comic space. Um, he's a producer who has worked with. Uh, History Channel, Discovery Channel, um, Comedy Central. He actually was intimately involved in the most recent rebranding of Comedy Central. So he is a person who is intimately involved in storytelling, but doesn't really get a chance to dig in. You know, he's just peripheral to it. Mm -hmm. And he is, he's just got such a love for visual storytelling in general. And you can absolutely tell both in this book and in the um, previous book he did with us, uh, Recall, which was a completely uh, wordless um, graphic novel. It was all about the visual storytelling. And my God, you can, you can just see it on every single page. And, and when I say that it's you know, a love letter to Asian cinema, it, you, you can see that as well. And you know, so much of what I find really frustrating about movies now is that like there's just so much filler you know the the like every frame of painting aesthetic has just gone away so much where you can just tell that like okay they sent a b crew after this and like oh we just need a picture we need a scene of this guy walking into the cafe we need a scene of this and somebody just gets that and there's no actual thought behind making that beautiful and there's absolutely you can see that his his interest came from that here not only that it's just i don't know i'm i'm, I'm into revenge shit man it feels good <laughs> <laughs> like you get to the end of this thing and it's there are so many books that especially when you try something like this it, i find that you have to read them twice and this is not a book that you need to read twice it's a book that really encourages you to read twice you're gonna you're gonna love it the first time through and, and feel completely satisfied and then when you read it again you'll find all these things that you missed along the way that will inform your 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 reading of it and just make it even better i i think whenever you can find that you know i i i I'd probably read watchmen every four or five years and every time i do there's something new that i didn't notice the first eight or ten times you know i'm like oh shit it's right and that's when you know a creator put something into it. it wasn't just something that they were like oh let's try this and just throw it at the wall and see if it sticks like this is something that was a labor of love that you went through and you, and you, you actually spent time thinking about every single aspect of it mm -hmm. and you know I, from the very beginning even back when vader was two and five ink and i started working as the editor there and i was picking books my absolute guiding light every single time was I was going to pick the books that I wanted to publish the same way that I would pick the books out at the indie table when I was a kid going into the comic shop. I, I just, if a book stood out to me and I, and I read, you know, three, four pages and I was like, Oh fuck yeah, I got to take this home. All right. I need that feeling. Otherwise, why am I doing this? Right. You know, right. everyone, everyone here knows how much work this is. <laughs> so, well, not Will. He just, he just, and it's just done. <laughs> I think I think in one of the episodes you missed, um, it's like I said it's like pushing a boulder up a hill with a wet noodle. <laughs> That's what making comics is. 
That seems really easy compared to what my my uh, truck. What? <laughs> no, I, I I think that's great that you're you're putting books out for people, and I, I thank you for doing that. And I have nothing to do with Invader. I just I think that's cool that you're you're grabbing like you said, Kevin. Which by the way, show big fan of Kevin's. I think I can speak for all of us. Um, we uh, we we support all Kevin's uh, except for Federline. Uh, he's doing fine. Um, but we need the help. Yeah. But it's it's that thing of like you're you're taking people who who want to do it and you're you're giving them the 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 way to tell their stories and I think that's that's amazing that you're you're doing that for people. Honestly, what it what it started out as is when I first started going around to comic cons and I would I would walk down the aisles and I would see all of these books and I was like, this book is better than what I'm seeing on the shelves at the comic shop. And I would talk to the people, and, and these are guys hustling. These are girls hustling. They're, they're going all over the country. They're putting in the work, but they're not getting the the exposure they, they deserve. You know, like they're not even getting solicited through Diamond. You know, that that frustrated the fuck out of me. But I would I would literally see books that were better than what I was finding on the local comic shop shelves. What's the, why? That's just an injustice. Mm-hmm. So, you know. Well, the door's open. Just try to scoot as many people through as you can. Yeah. All right. I'm going to pull up the screen. Let's let's check this book out. Um, so we we already met the 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 writer Kevin. What is who's the art team, um, and how did that team come together? So Kevin found Marco Pergini. He's an Italian artist. Um, just through Instagram, actually, he was he was just looking at different um, artists and came across his style and said, oh shit, this fits perfectly because you know it needed something that had that inspiration of Asian cinema, but not, you know, obviously just completely taking a page from that. It just needed to have that kind of uh, sensibility. It's interesting. Uh, I mean, I'm looking at this art and it's it's reminding me of the artist on Black Cotton, which is a book we've had mm. on the show and is actually I'll, I'll give a quick, quick hit. You got like nine hours to back Black Cotton volume two, but that that same feel. And it's also a gritty alternative history um, type of a story. I'm not saying yours is alternative history, but that gritty, violent kind of down in the dirt type, type of storytelling. It's a, a great artistic style for it. Yeah, it's it's the the simplicity that allows all of that action and energy to come through the page, you know. Um, so he he, uh, he literally just uh, approached people randomly that he that he really liked what they were doing. Um, same with the uh, the letterer there. Um, we we always love to give them their their due, so we put them right on the on the cover there. Nice. Um, Keith did the previous book that um, Kevin did called Recall, which was a it was a story inspired by the Betty and Barney Hill UFO abduction. Um, it's not like directly because of that, but um, and interestingly enough, Chris, you were talking about the dual covers you had for your book. We did the exact same thing with Recall, where the one cover was the shot basically from the alien's perspective, looking down on the car, and the other one was looking up. I doing that as well. And and honestly, that's the big reason that we're doing this through Kickstarter. All of our books are, are solicited in previews, but we bring them to Kickstarter with a unique cover, this time done by our art director, um, Michael Nelson. So he did he did this one as our 
as our Kickstarter exclusive cover. That's a damn good cover. Who did your logo? He, again, that's part Mike Nelson. It's yeah. um, part Fernando Pinto, and it's part Tim Daniel. They oh, were, they're all going, all going crazy on that, and they they brought us some really great stuff. Nice, really great. Couldn't couldn't we don't wouldn't look anywhere near as good if it weren't for those guys. Um, but we just, man, listen. I don't want to like shit on Diamond or anything, but I'm gonna. <laughs> <laughs> we just got it's, really. It's a wait to do that. Yeah, true. <laughs> We just got really frustrated with, you know, the gatekeeping there. We never knew who was buying our books. And, you know, I put out a book with my brother 10 years ago. And then suddenly, late last year, we got an order from Diamond for 200 more copies of it. <laughs> Nobody had bought a copy of that in literally like eight years, other than that we sold directly. So, like, right. tell me why. Tell me who. Where did it come yeah. from? Let me send him a gift basket. Just anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that's it's super interesting. I actually asked, um, you know, my book comes out through Scout, and I, Char, when Charlie Stickney was still co-publishing, I said, you know, like, can I reach out to some of the shops that have mm. kind of done the most? And he was like, you can't, because we have no idea. Like, say, say you, you know, you you've done great and you've sold two thousand copies of some. There might be a shop somewhere who bought five hundred copies because they know their clientele and that's 25% of your books. Wouldn't you love to be able to say, Hey, you've done this for me. I just checked JetBlue. It's $99 for me to get to you. Yeah, absolutely. Or just send them extra send them any, just anything, man. And there's, there's no way to know. And that's, that is that that's not, that's not optimal. Yeah. No. So Kickstarter allows us to actually directly, um, interact with the people buying the book and it allows us to put out a unique cover an exclusive cover for every one so we have like you know the 2022 series of kickstarter exclusive covers the 2023 series of kickstarter exclusive covers it's something it's really fun i mean it's do you have retail tiers on this kickstarter uh we do deal we, we don't like to um promote that too much because we don't want to you know piss off anybody um but we we do it's okay uh diamond's already mad at you so yeah, if they're true. listening you're fine <laughs> yeah that's true <laughs> i don't i don't think i don't think we have a huge diamond audience so i think you're safe <laughs> yeah. lunar maybe lunar maybe lunar we love you we absolutely we say to Every single retailer, when we send out the press releases and everything, if you want to buy it from us directly, you can do that, and we will beat Diamond's price. <laughs> um, but yeah, we, we just, it's great to be able to, like I said, put out the unique covers, be able to say, like, hey, here, do you want everything that, that Kevin has done up to this point? Go ahead. Do you want to buy any of our previous books? Every single, you know, we run the Kickstarter for 15 days, it just launched two days ago. Every month, we offer all of our previous books at a discount, just so people can catch up. So you know, in case they missed it, because you know, listen. There is a con- there's a controversy. I want to stop uh, in the comments. I apologize. Victor says his dad is Walter Diamond, and how dare you? So uh, you know, like uh, Victor, I do I do apologize for any besmirching of your family name. Uh, no, come on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, yeah, so we, we do it, uh, you know, for 15 days of, of the same month that it's in Diamond Previews. So if you want to buy from us, you can. If you want to order from your comic shop, because again, everyone here knows just because some random customer goes into the comic shop and says, hey, I heard about Unknown Caller. Will you order it? Mm -hmm. That does not mean that A, that book is going to get ordered or B, it's going to get picked up when it comes in three months from now. So this is a great way to just deal directly with people. Yeah, no, it's it's great to give give your readers different options too, because yeah, you're guaranteed to get it if you back the Kickstarter. But if you do ask your local comic shop to order it through Diamond Looter, all all their options. Let let's say this: if you don't tell your comic shop to order it, it might not be there on yeah. Wednesday when you go in. So. Yeah. I mean, comic so, shops are in an awful position. They don't have a yeah. lot of money to be playing yeah. around and taking chances on, on books unless they yeah. know they're going to be sold. Because if, they, if they're if they not, that's, you know, $10 sitting on their shelf. Mm -hmm. I, I completely, completely sympathize and empathize with, uh, with comic shops. Yeah. So we just try to make it easier for people. And I'll be real blunt and honest. The inspiration for this model came during COVID when I suddenly wasn't going to comic cons anymore and interacting with people. Right. I just kind of miss it. So now you get to. And yeah, that's. I'm, I'm going to kind of bring it up to everybody. You know, like, do do you get that feeling of a one-on-one? -on -one? Because it's it's through the internet. But do you get that one-on-one -on -one feeling when you're when you're dealing with Kickstarter backers? You do when they're when they're actually active and commenting and talking and, and you know interacting with you through social as well because a lot of that happens you know they they find you on Kickstarter but then they follow you on social and they you know talk say hey man I just this looks great and you get that feeling of hey yeah we put a ton of work into this and somebody coming on to your to one of your social channels and saying this cover looks fantastic but I read the preview holy shit it blew me away that feels so much better than an invoice in from Diamond. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. George, have you had that feeling? I know we we, we, oh, yeah. we had toddler apocalypse on this, so I know that you've been on it. 100%. Um, you know, it's like everybody here, you know, I put my back catalog up, you know, as a tier and add-ons and stuff. And the last couple campaigns um and this one included like you know there'll be somebody coming along who you know i they're they're not friends they're not family i don't know who they are but they just bought everything from my back catalog they're their family now yeah. <laughs> you know um and that's that's amazing that somebody that like you legitimately just met and again it's it's through through a website you know um is curious enough trusts you enough to you know plunk down a good chunk of change to give everything you created a shot i mean that's it's incredibly humbling and empowering you know yeah. at the same time you know especially if anybody like me every now and then like you know is dealing with uh with imposter syndrome like what better tangible real world way to kill that dumb voice of like oh nobody really cares and, like some someone in you know Northeast Arkansas wants to buy everything you've written. Yeah, that's that's real. Was that was that you, Will? 
I'm Northwest Arkansas. Oh, God, I, I missed. I missed. The, the I love how I tried to like put three completely random words together, and I still only get Mill. You're still, guy. you're still, you're still hitting sixty-six percent. Will, have you noticed? Like, you know, you've done crossover one, two, three, and four. Now you're doing the hardcover. Are you getting names, recognizing names that you had never met before, and being like, "Oh no, that's my, that's my tribe." Yeah, it, it's it's really weird because, you know. You know, George talks about imposter syndrome and, you know, I'm like, you know, we're, we're, we're building an audience and I, and I'll recognize, you know, this person in London and I'm like, shit, somebody half the world away that I have no way of ever having interacted with is plunking down, you know, money for not just the current issue, but back issues and, you know, some of my other work too. It's just so... And international shipping. And yes, international but, shipping but too, yeah. He, he won't <laughs> brag I'm about like, it. He won't brag about it. It's actually posh spice. She can afford oh. it. <laughs> okay. So, Great. Let, let, I, I want to make sure we, we, we get into Unknown Caller um, and finish it out. So how long would this series go if 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 you you hit it and go, is this a, a mini? Is it a max? Thing? one and done. One and done, great. Oh, yeah. This is just a graphic novel. Eighty-four pages, story told. Nice. All now right. we've got. We're you know, I'm not saying we'll move into other media, but as a comic, yeah, this is done. Yeah, Victor just said, um, I just had someone back my Kickstarter from Australia. That's not cheap, but it's really yeah. cool. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's amazing to, <laughs> to, to to see that. It's just like yes, it's. Wow, someone is willing to pay eight dollars for my comic and thirty-two dollars to get it to, you yeah, know. <laughs> yeah, and sometimes more. Right, right. right. <laughs> oh, that's that's awesome. Does Kevin have any other ideas that he might bring to you, or are you kind of? Oh yeah, putting... he is, uh, he's a machine. We're already we're already working on, on two more projects. Awesome. Um, and actually, if you back any of our other. Kickstarters, you might have gotten an ash can of one of his books, that's Immortal Hunter, which uh, awesome. was another one that had a, a logo and, and cover design by uh, Second Rocky. Second Rocky. All right. Well, if you could, if you could stop sharing the screen so that I don't kick you out. If I do it, you'll go away, and I don't want you to go away. Uh, before we go to Will, I want to. We've got eight minutes before crossover division <laughs> closes so i'm going to kind of like we're gonna we're gonna pause for a second what is the greatest revenge tale you've ever read or seen or experienced in entertainment um, i'm going to because i came up with the question i'm going to give you guys about 30 seconds the first revenge tale that got into my soul and just kind of put me to bed happy was the Count of Monte Cristo. I read it in, I think, 11th grade, and I might have been a little bit too into uh, honor, justice, and revenge, but holy crap, that novel spoke to me in a way that almost nothing had ever spoken to me. Before. Oh, dude, I, one of my good, good friends had the same experience, but the thing was, he came at it from this, he had been cheating on his girlfriend. Oh, no. And everyone caught him and he like felt like he was wrong in the situation and so he read count of monte cristo and he was like 
yes, absolutely. I, I just identified with this guy so much, and I was like, "That's that's great, dude. I'm really I'm really happy that you're into this." But you're the you're not the good you're, guy. Yes, you're you're the guy who 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 swooped in and took the girl. You're not. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's super that's super you know like all of our reading comprehension isn't the same i'm not going to say mine's better than his or worse i'm going to say <laughs> mine is different and, and that, maybe i missed the point maybe you missed the point okay who, who has a great revenge tale they want to talk about i think the best is unforgiven man from eastwood i think that's the best when I saw that movie, I said, oh, shit, nobody needs to ever make a Western again, first of all. But, like, mm -hmm. that that movie, the fact that the revenge is all comes in the last ten minutes of the movie and still has a better payoff than people who start building revenge for 90 minutes, the fact that the bad guy is the good guy, the good guy is the bad guy, and they have reverse arcs that, that cross one another... <laughs> Yeah. The fact that he took the genre that he built his career on and turned it on its head and made arguably the best western that has ever been made. Mm -hmm. That that movie, I get I get goosebumps just talking about it. <laughs> yeah, all right, guys, you got you got you got something. It's going to be tough to top it, but I want to hear. George, do you have one? I wish I had the vocabulary to like speak at this knowledgeably but something that just came into my head how about princess bride oh absolutely, oh, yeah. absolutely. There, there are a couple revenges going on on that one nope. you know um like you know trying to think of like that right the revenge is like that that fighting and winning at the end and i mean you know i want my father back you son of a bitch like if you're not like <laughs> Like, you know, I mean, it's, that's the point of story and cinema, right? Give me everything I want, everything and, and more. Give me yeah. Yeah. Bitch. yeah. And and that's one of multiple revenges. You took my, you took my girl, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. That's, I think that's, I think that's a strong one. I, I mean, perfect move. Guys, one guys it's getting tough. Will, yeah. Chris, it's getting tough, but I, I want to hear. All right. So I've got a... Real answer and kind of a fake answer. The real answer, uh, one, because Mike already took Unforgiven, I'll go with a different Western and, and do uh, True Grit, I think is a, um, okay. a, a pretty entertaining uh, revenge story. But then Original yeah. or Jeff Bridges or both? I mean, it, it's, it's I, I would go with the Jeff Bridges version because I like that version better. But I think the obviously the John Wayne one is a bit more iconic and probably the one that my dad liked way more than the Jeff Bridges one. But I like the Jeff Bridges one a bit more. Um, and I guess I, before you start with your fake one, I have to say I'm ignorant of True Grit. I've never watched either. So I got to put it on my list. Yeah. Um, it, the other one, maybe not really a fake one, but it, it's just a stretch. Um, Big Lebowski as as a as a stretch for a revenge story where he's he's uh, you're gonna get Jeff Bridges in there one way or the other. <laughs> Tron, Tron. He's <laughs> rug getting getting pissed on. So he's gonna go. The first Iron Man. It's revenge over. Big, I mean, but it's Look, it's crap. But if Jeff Bridges. You have is a definition of revenge. You can make really any story be about a be a revenge tale. So it's true. It's true. 
All right, Will, bring us home, and then we're going to bring you home because we've got two minutes. Two minutes. So, you know, I don't know. My mind first went to John Wick. Okay. As, you know, maybe, I don't know if that's a great one. I love The Princess Bride. That's that's so awesome. And then I, I, it's been a while since, since I think I've seen True Grit, but Unforgiven is, you know, is a masterpiece as well. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I don't know that I have a good revenge one that I that I go back to. I mean, it's not it's not something that I think about a lot. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I, think, I don't know. <laughs> I think it's a good thing. I, I think that um, you know me in high school and like buddy who cheated on his girlfriend and thinks he he's the victim. I think that we're kind of maybe not <laughs> the best. If if you're like always thinking of revenge. Probably not a, a, a positive <laughs> thing about you as a human being. Now, I got a question. I'm looking at, okay, now we're down to two minutes. All right, I was going to like, this is six minutes and my phone says two. So, so you, you're sitting at 185 backers and now mm -hmm. we're back to six minutes. I don't know how this is happening. Time, time is a circle and um, it keeps going to two minutes and then five minutes. 185 <laughs> backers who are going to get a hardcover in theory. So there's going to be some mm -hmm. digital backers, I understand. Yeah. $7,100 of a $6,000 goal. You're killing your goal. How do you feel? You got five minutes to go or two minutes. I don't know what is happening with my computer. 75 I, seconds on my side. Yeah, yeah my, my phone <laughs> says a minute and, and my computer says five minutes. So, so like, I don't know. I'm, I'm, you know what? It's my fault. I watched Star Trek The Voyage Home. Uh, today, so there's some time travel shenanigans at my house. I apologize. Yeah. How you feel? Uh, you know, it's it's good. I it's it's this one's been it's taken it's taken longer than I hoped to you know hit that first fund because we didn't hit funding until last night, mm -hmm. and um, you know we've we've obviously gone over that, which is great. And 185 backers for a hardcover. I'm you know thrilled with that. Um, it's I'm I'm really looking forward to getting this book out there because yeah. it's it's going to be you know this oversized hardcover that I'm going to cram as much stuff in there as I can you know it's going to have all the story and just you know show off Pablo's art Alice's art and you know all the hard work that Ryan and and James and Brant put into it it's just going to be a great showcase and about so, five seconds to go. Yeah, so get on it very quick, uh, watchers, if you if you can, because it is happening. Will, I feel like and, ever since we came into orbit of each other, crossover division has been a thing. So when did this start for you, and when did the first issue come out? Oh, God. Uh, first issue was in, I think, July of 2020, so the, the pandemic. It was... Everything was shut down. Uh, it, it's, it's funny because I I had originally done a, an eight-page story that I was going to use to pitch to publishers. And then there were no publishers. There were no distributors. <laughs> so I was like, okay, I guess we don't need them. Let's just go to Kickstarter. And <laughs> yeah, thanks, so Johnny. Yeah, Shawnee, Shawnee, and Blake kind of fight for for our our, our most.
most awesome uh, uh, watchers and listeners. So getting a congrats from Shawnee is is huge. And Blake says, uh, you broke 7,000. Yeah, like a Thanks, huge Blake. last couple <laughs> days to, to come in super strong. That has to feel great. So um, let's all raise a glass to Will. And guess what, Will? Your campaign's done. You're done. We're going back to comedy. That's right. Let's hear a little bit about Charlie Spot. George, if you could share a Charlie Spot and tell us a little bit about where this came from. Absolutely. So I think this is it. This look right to y'all? Nope. That's my Twitter page. Yeah. (laughs) Listen, all porn off unless you think it's something I enjoy. You're not the boss. <laughs> but I won't. You know, and guess what? If you think I wouldn't enjoy it, I still might. So, <laughs> oh. so I mean, to go all the way back to the beginning, uh, Charlie Spot started because I've worked in downtown Boston for 10 years, took the exact same route in and out to work. Um, and over that time, you know, I, I don't know if they were homeless or they weren't, but I noticed kind of like the same people begging for money, busking, um, were kind of always in the same spot, you know, spring, summer, fall, winter. And after a while, I just like, all right, there's got to be some sort of system, right? Some sort of like gentleman's agreement about who gets what spot. And, you know, being a writer and a creator with, you know, a 20-minute train ride in and out, you just start playing what if. Um, and you know, and then it kind of dawned on me that, like, in the grand scheme of things, I'm the interloper. Like, I'm just, I'm just coming in for the day, doing yeah. my job and going. This home. is their spot, right? Right. This is their home. Right. Um, and it was right by Boston Common, which is a which is a much smaller Central Park vibe, but just to kind of get set the scene for you. You know, um, that's kind of the area that we were in. Um, and so, like I said, it just started like, all right, so what? what's really happening when we're not here? And that's a bit where the magical element of the story kind of came in, that there's this entire world going on that, you know, 98% of the world that, that calls this area home has no idea what's going on. You know, um, and then, and then it started like, okay, you know, maybe, you know, this, this spot, like someone's got a spot and they lose it and they got to figure out how to get it back. You know, it was maybe fleshed out that much, maybe a little bit more. There was something for me that I was like, I think there's something there. And I was talking with some friends, some movie making friends, and I gave them like that half pitch. And one of my friends was like, yeah, what are you going to do with the other 90 minutes of your movie? And that really <laughs> pissed me off. So <laughs> so I've always said the secret sauce to Charlie's spot is just enough spite to make sure that the story gets told right. and made well. So, you know, whether he knows it or not, I'm flipping him off with every page. Um, so, so there's a bit of revenge in the story and a whole lot of revenge in how the story got made. The fact, yeah, the, the, the fact that it got made and that people are digging it and that, um, yeah, I mean, you all were talking about like that rereadable factor, you know, the, the putting things in there that you hope people recognize or check out 
um, or notice. And, you know, so people seeing that kind of stuff, that's, that's the revenge right there. Um, you know, the people are digging it and, and, you know, sometimes diving deep into it and picking up the things you hope they would see. Um, yeah. So, and then fleshing out the whole story where I was trying to think about, all right, well, well, who's the type of person that would, you know, have one of these busting spots. Um, I, I, I started with, well, you know, homeless veteran. That's kind of, you know, that that's a quick way to, you know, describe somebody and have somebody go, oh, okay. Right. Like that, that I get it. That's in the lexicon. But as I was kicking that around, around the same time, uh, I ended up watching two different shows, like within two weeks of each other, where one of the main thrusts was the crazy veteran who loses it and shoots up the whatever. And again, that's also like a lexicon thing that we're all used to, for better or for worse. Um, but seeing it be the plot point in two different shows on two different channels just really hit me as bad. You know, for, for lack of a better word or a thesaurus word, it just, it was, it felt lazy and it felt wrong. Um, you know, my dad served, I've got friends that have served. Um, and even if they're dealing with stuff, they are not a danger to anyone. Um, and I didn't, yeah, and I, I didn't like that the crazy veteran was becoming the shorthand. Um, and that, you know, for a lot of people, when they think veteran, they think, oh, they're just one bad day away from, you know, shooting up the 7 Eleven. Um, so when. With that in mind, I then became very hell-bent on, like, making a full-fledged character. If I was going to go with Homeless Veteran, um, I I owed it to everybody um, to make sure that this was a real human being. Um, and then um, when you're talking about Mandrill, it, it kind of hit me. It's kind of the same idea of, like, I want this, like, core, good, grounded, central character and then surround him with the most ridiculous people and situations. <laughs> so the comedies, you know, the comedy is never going to come from ah, he's a homeless veteran. That's not funny. That's cruel and it's mean. Yeah. But he can be a very serious character with a bunch of you know insane people around him. And to me, that's interesting. I love taking regular people and putting them in irregular situations and seeing what happens. And so that's kind of how we started building it up. That that you know, our you know Charlie in general is someone who has removed himself a bit from society because he thinks he's too broken to be loved, to be to have friends. Um, that he he doesn't want to be a burden on anyone. So he has built up walls. Did you do so he any have research on anyone. on veterans and the homeless? Because it's shocking. Uh, the percentages of the homeless that are veterans, it's shocking yeah. and appalling, actually. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, the uh, and kind of taking a universal truth, which is we all have those low moments where we think whatever is going on in our lives, it's like it's that that, you know, maybe it would be better for the people that I love, you know, if like they just didn't have to deal with it. You know, um, we've all we've all been there. So let's just take that universal truth and turn it up to 11 and put, you know, someone in a bear suit 
around him and and clowns and um bears fighting with you know balloon swords <laughs> you know to the death um yeah and and but ultimately kind of like the thesis of the of the story is you know what what's the better way to go to protect yourself and those around you by building up walls or do you take the risk drop those walls let people in and hope for the best you know and so that's that's kind of like the 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 like 12th layer story that we're telling here um but i promise you it's a comedy yeah okay, so you you kept using the word irregular irregular so i want to get to we talked about it for a second and then i stopped you uh before the show started you've done a kickstarter campaign for charlie spot number one yes and now you have a kickstarter campaign for the entire series charlie spot one through four yes okay so what wow how why what sure <laughs> um you know it, it kind of goes back to you know distribution um this series was supposed to come out originally through a through a publishing company and when we were getting close to that that kind of fell through um you know i had one publisher and it was going to be distributed through another publisher and but but that marriage kind of like dissolved so i and a couple other books were just left with a publisher but not a distributor Distributor, gotcha. sure. Words. Um, Publisher. So I got I got permission. I got permission to to kickstart the first issue as a way to basically promote the to promote the series. Like we've got to right. wait a bunch of months, like a bunch of months, for us to finally come out. Well, let's try and use some of that time to, like I said, start building an audience, get the word out there. Um, Even so, if somebody yeah, doesn't back it, we've heard. Charlie spot. So then I go into my local comic shop. I see it. I'm more likely to buy it. Exactly. So, you know, about two years ago, um, we did the Charlie spot number one, and then it was December 21. And then, uh, March, April 22, that the four issues came out. Um, and we kind of ran into a good problem, which was, you know, as of a couple months ago, the first issue sold out. We have two variant covers, or you know, yeah, two variant covers that were, were retail, and they both sold out, which was fantastic. The problem is we had a bunch of twos, threes, and fours, um, to the point that it would have been fiscally irresponsible to like pulp those and move on or not do anything with them. So uh, what this campaign is doing is helping us reprint the first issue, so we can keep sets and bundles of these books together and going on because you know um we were small creators one of the first launch book of a new publishing company in you know in the back of diamond previews right. those are a couple hurdles to get over for you know again we were talking about earlier for shops to roll the dice on this book but, you know that's 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 Are you telling me that a local comic shop might have trouble buying a comedy about a homeless veteran? I mean, you know, <laughs> it, yeah, right. And and again, you I keep trusting, but no, trust me, it's a comedy. It's funny. Um, but, you know, so, so 
what I have found though is being a is selling this at conventions is pretty easy. Uh, one, I mean, I I fucking love this book. Um, I'm insanely proud of this book. So you get me talking about this book, and at worst you you'll think like, well, he's very energetic about this. <laughs> um, but when someone cracks it open and they see Meredith Laxton's art, Ali Pepitone's colors, and Taylor Esposito's letters, mm. now it's like, oh, well, this thing also fucking looks gorgeous. And it looks pro. You know, so if the pitch catches you, if, you know, part of that pitch catches you and you open it up and you're like, oh, no, they, they know what they're doing. Um, I've had some fantastic conversations at conventions where something about, you know, all that matrix, something in their hooks, people, and they're and they don't just buy it they're like excited to buy it which is the best um so i didn't want to let that go you know um so what do we do we go to kickstarter right like that that's in our dna at this point um so so yeah that's where we are right now so that was the point of this campaign was hey not only will you get the complete series you know because chances are you know you missed it or weren't able to pick it up but by you buying a copy, you're also going to make sure I can keep copies around for other people to discover, yeah. you know, forever. For as long as I want to keep this book alive, we can do that. Yeah, that's the beauty of all of this. And it's part of why we use the tagline, just keep print alive. Like you're, yeah. you, you don't understand. You, you think, oh, yeah, I'm giving $15 and I'm getting a comic book. You're like, you don't any idea what you're doing what that $15 means like because it, especially for for us because we're publishing a bunch of books mm -hmm. you're not helping just us or this one creator you're helping every other creator like you're keeping so many other books alive and going and in print and like a story like this you talk about you know riding into Boston on the sea and, and passing through like I love these stories of these other worlds yeah. that you don't even realize that you're just being a visitor in for a brief second. And then you can bring this to all these people. I had a friend, I grew up in Rochester, New York. I had a friend who made a living dumpster diving. Mm. And I asked him, I was like, how did you, how did you get into this? He was like, oh, well, I had a friend who was, who was retiring from dumpster diving and I, I inherited his route. And so now <laughs> I was like, Okay, I need you to explain like five things, not one sentence. Right. Like, <laughs> I didn't understand. I didn't that any of that existed, you know. But it just, it's just there. It's just it's there underneath your your eyes, underneath your nose, and it's you can tell a story to bring it to people. And suddenly, there's a whole new world for them. Yeah, with, and with I, and you know, one of the night like when when you do something, you know, like like this, like you know, again, you know homeless veterans it's you know it there's a lot there's a lot of baggage that comes with that type of character um and you like i said i can sit there and i and uh rich duick who is a fantastic writer on his own who was the editor on this book and oh and sweet sit, yeah yeah he and i can sit down there and go through the script and go through the story and do everything we can to be as respectful as we want and then you put it out there and you just pray. Um, and the conversations I've had with people who either are veterans 
or recently somebody who worked at the local VA, you know, pick up the book and like compliment the humanity of the book, you know, the, the, and how we treat Charlie. Like that's fucking huge. Yeah. You know, because, because, you know, again, it's like we're trying, we're trying to tell good stories. And, you know, in a story like this, you're trying to tell a human story again along with you know this this menagerie of characters you see on the cover right there um that's 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 huge you know it sounds to me from the outside that you've been very careful not to punch down in your comedy and punching down is super easy and lazy and doesn't punching up is so much more fun it's more fun and it's funnier it's funnier so i'm really glad that it, it sounds like you really like made that effort and i applaud you for that thank you i mean again i want to give all the effort you know also you know meredith laxton who's the artist let me if it's cool i'm gonna scroll down a bit there's yeah. there's more to talk about but we're talking about meredith and her art um and again meredith laxton co-creator and artist ali pepitone colors taylor esposito letters um meredith's style just was so human and real but also she could put a bear and a clown fighting together and it makes sense, <laughs> right? Like nothing looks out of sorts, you know, it's little things like, you know, there's there you're, you're getting character acting, you know, just if we took the words out, this, this is our, this is his, his best friend, whether he wants him to be or not, Andre and Charlie, you know, um, and just, you know, again, like Meredith put so much heart into this. And like y'all were talking about earlier, ownership of the book. Um, and just the, the, you were talking about cartography. One of the early ideas I had was to play up the idea, like this whole park, let's treat it like a and d map where each, you know, each of these busking groups you know the clowns, uh, the, the 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 guys dancing, the improv troupe, the jugglers. You know they all have their own section of the kingdom of the park. Um, and you know she comes back with this, and it's just beautiful and awesome. You know, and then one of my favorite things in comics is the panel staying still, and the comedy happening in between, and she nailed that as well. You know, so she can go from the out, you know, from like the outlandish D and D map to these, you know, incredible facial acting to nailing the comedy timing, you know, in a comic. Um, and she was a freaking dream collaborator to work with. You know, just just making. I mean, they all were. You know, um, everyone took their moment and elevated the entire book. We probably have a Taylor Esposito uh, lettered comic every second or third show, right, Will? I, was say. <laughs> I think so. Yeah, I mean, he, he works his butt off. So, yeah, and and the reason I went with Taylor is I was originally going to letter this book. Uh, my lettering is fine. Uh, it'll never win an Eisner, but it'll never be the reason you put a book down and go ew. Um, <laughs> it'll it'll be fine. It'll get the job done. But as Meredith is going on, and like I said, elevating everything. Allie's coming in and popping these colors, ele elevating everything. I'm working with Rich 
to make the words, you know, as good as possible. So, you know, I'm elevating it as best I can. It just hit me like, and I'm going to put fine lettering on this. Like, I'm going to get to the, you know, to the five yard line and go, we're good. Let's kick the field goal. Yeah. Like, no. <laughs> like, you know. The difference between a good book and a great book is like 5% everywhere. Yes. Yep. And, you know, speaking of Taylor, I mean, you know, he's, he's absolutely one of those names that is always out there. So I knew of him and I knew friends who had worked with him and recommended him. Um, and, you know, you go to you go to the shop any Wednesday and you're going to see one or two of his books, whether it's DC, Dark Horse, Dynamite, whatever. Um, but what sold it really sold me on him is I was at a local convention walked by someone's table, noticed that their book had Taylor's name on it. So I started flipping through it and the same quality of lettering that was on that dynamite book that was on that DC book was in this person's book, you know, who had printed 25 copies and was bringing it to the convention. And that's what sold me. It's like, all right, if he's going to put the same amount of effort, you know, again, into something that's going to sell a thousand copies, into one that's going to sell 25 copies. That's the guy I want to work with. Yep. And, and Will and I have, have said this kind of since we started this. If, if, you're, if you're starting this journey and you're, you're a writer and you're, you're going to try to find an artist and, and, and may, maybe an editor, there is not a single dollar that you can spend on your comic that has more value per dollar than a good professional letterer yeah because absolutely going from a poor artist to a very good illustrator is fifty dollars a page to four hundred dollars a page (laughs) going from a poor letterer to a really good letterer is five dollars a page to twenty dollars a page twenty five dollars a page there are so many poor letterers and yes and you know what when I say poor illustrator, that's the eye of the beholder. There is some art that that the first two pages doesn't feel right. By page eight is perfect. Right. Yeah. You're like, oh, I just didn't get it till I got to here. Yes, this this art is perfect for the story. It just wasn't what I expected. But a letterer who is not far along on their journey or Let's call a spade a spade. A letterer who is a writer or an artist who doesn't want to pay a letterer knows what they're doing. Will take you <laughs> out of a story faster than anything else on a comic page. And there's so many opportunities to to utilize the benefits of the medium through letter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. that people just ignore. That people just don't take that opportunity. Don't take that advantage. Don't leverage that. Where you could just, man. A good letter can change yeah. shit. It can just change shit. I, I can tell yeah. you, our first time we worked with DC Hopkins on Tart um, was mm. Tart number four. Ludovic had lettered the first three issues. And I wanted to save him time. DC was an up and comer. He was a nice guy. I was like, yeah, let's try it. And uh, he had done something on a page in Tart four that Ludo actually he didn't complain about, he just asked. He said, this doesn't seem right. Why did you do this? 
And DC answered, I did this because blank, blank, and blank. And Luda wrote back, oh, I never would have thought of that. That's great. Please leave it exactly as is. Yep. <laughs> because yep. it's, it's an art form in and of itself. 100%. Yep. 100% of how to lead the eye, you know, how to make it an easy page to read, an easy panel to read. You're right. It's, it's a hidden art form that when it's done right, you kind of don't notice it. Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. you know, definitely as I've gotten further, you know, as I've been into comics more, um, and like I said, I did letter a bunch of my own books. So I know enough to know what I don't know. And I know mm-hmm. enough to see a gap right. of, you know, what where I'm at and what Taylor's doing. And just also what, like, Taylor is doing kind of, like, effortlessly. Yeah. You know, just he's got, you know, a great letter like Taylor. They have the hours, you know. So they letter and they know how to lay it out the way we breathe. Yep. Right. You know? And that's, that's valuable on its own you know so again to, to be able to hand this book over to taylor and know i wouldn't have to do a thing yeah, yeah. shawnee says in the chat it's fine everything's fine great for a meme not so much for lettering a comic <laughs> not so much when you're when you're asking people for their money right yeah, yeah. you know well you know it's it's not just you know lettering encompasses graphic design because the you know lettering is a is a is a graphic element for the page. Yep. It's also storytelling because you're guiding the eye. And, and I mean, there's so much that goes into good lettering that yeah. most people just don't notice. But right. I mean, there's so much there. I mean, it takes a lot of effort to make it be so effortless. Yes. You know, yep. nothing pulls you out of a book faster than wait, which which one am I supposed to read first? Yeah. <laughs> And that's right. the first level. Yeah, but that's just that's not even getting into the complicated aspects of it. That that's not even your artist has tried something crazy, and it doesn't. It it sort of works, but it doesn't. And you go to your letterer and you say, "Hey, what can you do?" And then yeah. they place eight balloons on the page that makes that crazy experiment work. Yep. Whereas it wouldn't work without the lettering, because they, they they bail you they bail you out when you aren't doing it right too. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yep. Will and I do our best to be like, look, letterers are the patron saints of comics, <laughs> um, because they they're the last person to touch the book. They're yep. the fastest workers, and they will fix problems for you, but. Give them their due, uh, you know. Exactly. The perfect mm-hmm. encapsulation of the whole is greater than the Yeah. It's words and pictures. Letterers do the words, guys. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> Absolutely. So yeah. So that's like I said. That's that's this creative team that I am. You know, y- you know, years since we started this journey that I am like I'm still so grateful for i am still so happy to put over and introduce people to um because they're amazing you know they they took the kernel of an idea brought their experiences and expertise into it and it grew bigger and better than 
I could ever hope for. Like I, I keep I keep telling people, if you pick up the book and you read the whole story, stop at page eighteen of issue four. That's where my original script ended, and I'm telling you, I wrote the ending. And I was like, oh, that's a good ending. I'm a good writer. I'm so smart. I'm so clever. And I shared it with Meredith. And she looked at us like, yeah, that's good. But wouldn't it make more sense if we did this? And I was like, oh, my God. Yes, it would make sense if we did that. And that's a much better ending than I had. So please do that ending, please. You know? That's awesome. That's um, great. And, and, you know, so at the end of it, when you get to page 19 and 20 and all of a sudden, you know, someone's chopping onions underneath you and, you know, you're trying to hold it all in, uh, that's Meredith, you know? And I feel like that, you know, I think traditionally that would be something, oh, what a great job by the writer, which is why I want to make it clear. Like, you know, if, you know, like I said, if you are, per if you are perfectly devastated by this ending, which we're trying to do, um, Again, then, then it's all Meredith, and I just was lucky enough to get introduced to her at the right time. You know, the stars aligned that the right artist and I were connected to each other. Mm -hmm. But yeah. you were willing to put your ego at the door and take a better suggestion too. No. The if there, so I've been like creating stuff for at this point over thirty years started as in music and I still play music um, but I have been in collaborative art you should project. do music for Kickstarter videos have you ever thought of that <laughs> every now and then you know when I'm dragged in kicking and screaming um, but what I've learned and really it was making comics I mean I, I really can credit comics for making me such a better collaborator in everything else that I do you know that idea of I mean, well, first of all, I'm just addicted to creating things. If I have a superpower, it's that uh, I have stayed curious even as I've gotten older. You know, I still see things and think, oh, that looks like fun. Uh, I want to do that, which is why I do web series and podcasts and how I got into comics. Um, but just realizing that my, my favorite part of anything is sitting around with other creative people and tossing a ball around. And, you know, yeah. someone else adds something, adds something, adds something. I might have been the one that started it, but I am so much more excited for the thing that all of us have built together. And, like, that's the thing I can't wait to make. Yeah. Um, and then just realizing, and again, I thank comics for drilling this into my head. Everybody is an expert at what they're at. I will never be as good as visual layout and acting and just the illustrative part as Meredith is. I will never understand a color wheel as well as Allie does. I will never understand lettering as well as Taylor does. So whether it's comics or you know, in the music thing, like I will never be as good a bass player as the bass players I am blessed to work with right now. Mm -hmm. So why in God's name am I telling them what to do? Yeah. You know, so... Yeah, so my, my philosophy now is I'm going to paint to a target. I'm going to set up the guardrails. However you get to that target, I don't care. You know, I'll nudge you a little left, a little right if I have to. But if you find your way to that target, I am so much more interested in that 
because that gets the people you're working with they're involved they're thinking they get to bring their creativity to it they get to bring their experiences to it and they get to have a little more ownership of it and especially in comics this stuff takes twice as long as you think it is even when you pad your stats even when you know even when it's like all right i think it's going to take three months so it's really going to take six months which means it's really going to take 12 months right like it just it just is when everybody you just doing, you just hurt you just hurt my heart george right well i mean i the the the, the, the naivete of me 13 years ago thinking oh comics will be great because then i can make things faster you know <laughs> um I said, stop punching down. <laughs> it, you know, I just, I say, I, I say it because I still laugh at myself of like those early days of thinking I knew what comics was. Um, but then also as an education to anybody listening, you know, and so, like I said, this, this like philosophy that I'm very protective and, and adamant about this stuff takes time. Yeah, I, I have and, to. I have to inter yeah. interject for one second. Um, yeah. I'm I'm an American. I grew up on you know X Men Adventures, Batman, and uh, Ludovic, my co-creator on Tart, is French. Um, so we we decided to work together, and we did an outline that was going to be somewhere around 42 issues. And so I looked at that outline and I thought, 42, about four years, and. Well, uh, he looked at that outline and uh, he thought, okay, 142 issue a year. So we're going to work on this for 32 years. And we didn't know enough about each other to communicate that. <laughs> so we had no idea that the American like thing is 12 issues in an annual every year. And the French way to put out a comic book is 142 page graphic novel a year. And so we had we had done like three issues together before we had that conversation. <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah, it takes a little longer than you might expect sometimes, and also talk to your collaborators about um, what you both expect. We've found our equilibrium, but when you talk about it, I'm like, oh God, you're yeah. killing me. <laughs> Again, that's why it's it, it. I take it very seriously, like like very seriously, that these projects. I'm going to try everything I have in my power to make it as collaborative as possible and as stress free as possible, knowing full well it will be stressful. Like when everybody is on the same page and everybody's liking each other, um, and everything's you know working the way it should be. Life gets lifey, you know. Um, and, and the real world interrupts. And so I can't control that. I can't control how many people end up buying, you know, the book when it's done, how many people back the Kickstarter. But what I can do is I can at least protect the process. But what I, I've found, the, 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 the direct market does um, punish you for that. Uh, mm. But Kickstarter market doesn't. I, I found that the Kickstarter market the readers are there for you when you're ready to put out yeah. something, whether that's, you know, if you're a Pat Shand and you can put out a book every month and be on Kickstarter, they're there for you. If, yeah. if you're, if you're me and you can put out maybe two, 
they'll, they'll be there for you. And I think that's wonderful about the Kickstarter market. 100%. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Oh, no, Chris. Oh, we lost Chris. Okay. I so. bored him to death. <laughs> He's back. He's back. Right. He's better than ever. Back. I've, I've got the size of a, of a small truck. Uh, that 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 is that is fine. We we we're I sometimes dogs hop in my lap, take care of small children. Um, is is there a? I'm I'm sure there is a way. So this is not even an is. So how can somebody back and get all four issues on this campaign, digitally and physically? Yeah. So we've uh, we've basically got three different things we got going on. Uh, like I said, there are two retail versions. There's this cover A which kind of has the more traditional comic book cover uh, from Victor Alpi and Meredith Laxton. And then for the variant cover, um, when we were asked to come up with a variant, Meredith had this incredible idea. And when you read the story, you'll see that Charlie kind of does painting as PTSD therapy. Mm -hmm. So she was like, I want to do what I think Charlie's paintings look like. And so as you can see here, these are actual paintings that Meredith did. Like these are physical, you know, watercolor paintings that she did and then practically set this whole thing up. The only thing that's Photoshopped in is this comics experience publishing logo. Oh, cool. Everything else she set up and photographed. And when you put these four issues together, it kind of looks like a makeshift art gallery. Mm-hmm. Yeah, nice. um, which is just freaking beautiful. Um, and then because, you know, we were talking about loyal friends, family and, and supporters, um, because this book was out in the world um, and, you know, I'm lucky enough to have, you know, a handful, you know, two handfuls of people like just like you know, they come up to the table. What's new? My point they pay like that, which is the freaking dream. Um, we wanted to do something special. Uh, for someone who wanted to support but maybe already had everything and so speaking of fernando pinto again um fernando pinto uh artist and ellie wright colorist came together to do a brand new variant cover for issue number one um and so not only is it fantastic because fernando's fantastic and ellie's fantastic they are also the visual creative team for the new project that I'm working on that'll hopefully come out later this year. So it was a way to not only work with Fernando and Ellie again, um, but a way to introduce the Charlie Spot crowd to this creative team of the next thing I'm gonna introduce them to. So kind of act as you know a bit of bridge between the two projects. I can't say um, enough good things about Fernando. Yeah. He is, I, I'll come back someday and, and go on and on about Fernando and this project. Back-to-back um, -back dream collaborators I'm working with right now. Um, Fernando's killing it. He's, um, and, and he just sent me new pages. He just sent me new pages today, and they're gorgeous. You know, one of the most um, well-rounded creators I've ever encountered. His, yeah. He put out a book back when we were two and five inks before Invader. Um, warped that the fact that that didn't become a worldwide phenomenon i still don't understand that book <laughs> is phenomenal he is phenomenal yeah. everything he does he just kills I, yeah and again another one of them good dude he, 
that's the other thing. Like, you know, again, as I've gotten older and still decided like, yeah, I'm getting older and yeah, probably none of this stuff is ever going to buy me a Malibu mansion, but I love this shit. So working with people I enjoy working with has become incredibly oh my God, yeah. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's just as important, if not more than the talent level. I'd take um, a Malibu shack. Right. <laughs> um, so, so to work with Fernando again, who not only is a fantastic collaborator, bringing his own killer ideas to it, who's also killing the translation of the script to the page, but then also just a fucking pro, just a pro's pro to work with, and just a good dude on top of it. It's a dream, you know. He does. He does comedy in comics better than most. I mean, like, I'm, I'm struggling to think of people who do, and all by himself, by the way. Yep. Like, just, the, the dude, his timing on the page, again, he, I can't say enough good things about Fernando. He, it, yeah, the pages that he's got coming in, I told him, it, it hit me the other day, and I apologize if I'm pronouncing this last name wrong, but Rob Gilroy, who I was introduced to through Chu, um, and he's got his own books out there, what worked for me, what blew me away with Chu and Rob's art is Rob's art was so flexible that when it needed to be comedy, it was funny. When it needed to be action, it was action. When it needed to be actory, it was actory. It was still Rob's style, but it was so malleable. It worked for every beat and every book, moment and emotion. And I and looking at what Fernando's giving me, he's doing that same thing. So that what we've got going on is kind of like a B movie sci-fi gimmick, um, and and we're leaning into that B movie tongue-in-cheek part. And when Fernando needs stuff to be funny and over the top, you you believe it. When it needs to be action-oriented, you you believe it. And when it when you know we get scary, or you know more leaning into the horror, it works. And he's not changing his style. Yeah, you know he's 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 just that good. I believe um, he's giving this away on his, his website right now. So if you yeah, want to check if you, out his stuff, I think yeah, you if you want to follow him, yeah, uh, Instagram. If you follow him on Twitter, um, you know I've given him and I've given Ellie, I've given everybody permission. Like, go keep hope. like we got to build momentum for this book, and again, it's going to take us a while to get there. So like post. <laughs> So every now and then, if you see like a cryptic, you know, pen and ink post from him, it's probably from from our book. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so again, bringing it all the way back around, uh, Fernando and Ellie are putting a variant cover for the issue number one, and that's only going to be printed for this campaign. If twenty five people buy it, we're printing twenty seven, so or twenty eight, so me, Fernando, and Ellie can have a copy as well. <laughs> can I ask, are those paintings uh, that Meredith did, are those uh, original paintings available? No, because I have them, and I am not ready to get rid of them. <laughs> <laughs> nice. But, See, that, but, you, here, I'm, gonna, I'm going to interject, and I'm going to kind of speak for you, and I, I apologize, and if I'm wrong, tell me wrong. So, unfortunately, if you're watching this, Charlie Spot is funded this book is going to happen yep. if it wasn't 
it's a possibility those paintings might go up as an add-on. But it's abundance. You can't have them. Am I wrong? <laughs> yeah. It, they, for so many reasons, I can't. I can't. I, I can't. Yeah. You know, um, but um, when Meredith started the book, uh, she did um, go, she was traditional for about the first seven pages. Mm -hmm. um, and so uh, after the first Kickstarter, uh, we have four pages available. So there are four, you know, pen and ink, like, you know, you can have the board that it's on pages. What I'm really excited about is so far, three out of the four pages have been bought. Uh, so there's still one page available for people to pick up. Um, nice. And we were talking about sending stuff around the globe. Like but one that's, of the things that's seven pages out of four issues. Yes, and then she switched to digital. So incredibly for, rare, like yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and where's it going? Oh, um, we were talking about you know just the 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 I don't know the. I mean, it's cool, but it's also like rewarding and and energizing to send stuff to Australia to wherever. One of these pages is going to Norway. Wow, which it's fucking fantastic. You know that that again this this platform allows us to connect with people that we never would have, and not only that, they get one of Meredith pa Meredith's pages. You know, um, so yeah, like I said, as of right now, uh, three out of the four are are claimed, and we're kind of doing a first come first serve, which is why I, yeah. I, I haven't figured out what's sold out yet because they need mm -hmm. to make their choices. Um, but yeah, like I said, one of four is left over from that. And then, you know, um, like I said, I love my collectible pins as well. So we took our person in a bear suit and turned yeah. it into this soft enamel <laughs> pin. And then uh, we had a couple uh, variant covers from our first Kickstarter available. One from Meredith Laxton, one from Jackie Morrow. And so, you know, I'm kind of cracking open my vault and if anybody wants to pick up, you know, the variant covers from the first Kickstarter, those are available as well. Is, as well is Toddler Apocalypse available as an add-on? Absolutely. All right. That is... yeah, all five all five of uh, books from my back catalog are nice. available as PDFs and uh, print as well. All right. Well, uh, let let's stop sharing the screen. Yeah. It's it's getting to almost one o'clock my time. Uh, I I'm having a blast and also about to fall asleep on you guys because I'm on the East Coast um, and I don't know where everybody else is, but uh, I I am having a blast. But I have good news. Will you do not have to do a thirty second pitch? You're done. Um, in case somebody is on, you know, Facebook or YouTube watching this live and missed the 30-second pitch at the beginning, we're going to go through and uh, give them one quick hit, and hopefully they'll be like, that's awesome, I want to back it and listen to this show. Um, so, uh, Mike, let's, let's talk about Unknown Caller. If you were at a comic convention and someone walked by, how would you get their attention about Unknown Caller? 
It's part John Wick. It's part Sixth Sense. It's a love letter to Asian cinema and the revenge genre. If, if you love thrillers, if you love a little bit, bit of mystery, and you love black and white comics, which I absolutely do, this is something you just absolutely need to pick up. It's an 84-page one done, and uh, you're going to love it. Nice. All right, Chris, how, how would you get somebody interested in Mandrill P.I.? All right. Who stops cartoons when they turn criminal? It's Mandrill P.I. Mandrill P.I. is a noir urban fantasy set in a cartoon world starring an anthropomorphic mandrill uh, who investigates occult and supernatural mysteries. It's kind of like Hellboy meets Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Oh, awesome. Perfect. <laughs> and we we just did the deep dive, but you know what? I'm, not, I'm still going to let you do your 30-second pitch, George. You're so kind. Um, so Charlie's spot is when a when his prized panhandling spot in the city park is stolen. A guarded homeless veteran reluctantly teams up with a ragtag group of park buskers and performers to discover who stole his spot and how to get it back. And if you are a fan of Terry Moore's Strangers in Paradise or Motor Girl or Scotty Young's Middle West or Fuck Fairyland, if you like stories that will have you laughing on one page and then ripping your heart out on, in the best way on the next, uh, that is Charlie's spot. Awesome. And Will, you don't have a 30-second pitch, but give everybody 10 seconds about how good it feels to be funded and to be done with the hardcover version of Crossover Division. It feels great, except now all the work really begins, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But it's fun work, so I'm looking forward to it. Fulfilled <laughs> is the most important part of this. And also, like, like you don't have the greatness of, like, creating the thing or whatever. But if you don't fulfill it, you don't get to do crossover division number six. So, you know what? <laughs> get on it. Uh, exactly. Gentlemen, it was a blast. <laughs> I really enjoyed meeting uh, uh, Mike and Chris. Great meeting you. George, great to see you again. If you, you have another book, um, please, if Invader's got another book, let us know. I, 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 every month. <laughs> At least one every month. <laughs> we're, we're, we do this every Friday. You let me know when you're ready, okay? <laughs> All right. Good night, everybody. Uh, Victor, Shawnee, Blake. We had some people popping it off in the comments. Uh, Tom. Uh, thank you, everybody. It's it's always a blast to have your questions. Uh, there were like three or four questions that really uh, helped. So thank you for being part of our our show in the comments. And uh, we hope to see you next week uh, for some uh, some more crowdfunding campaigns that are, are kicking ass and taking your name. So good night, everybody. Thanks. Good night, everyone. Thank yourselves. <laughs>